the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Tuesday afternoon. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever is on your heart. All you need to do is pick up the phone and call 210-340-9585. If you happen to be outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, uh, if you're driving in your car, especially when the streets are wet like they are right now, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Let's get right to questions. Don't have anything really to talk about on Tuesday. So our first question comes from Nacho from our email inbox. Uh, he says, Pastor, here's a long one for you. In your sermon last Wednesday in Kings, 2 Kings 4, uh, verses 29 and 31, uh, Elisha directs his servant to place his staff on the dead boy's face. You said that it is not really understood why nothing happened when the staff was laid on the boy's face. The boy was taken care of once Elisha arrived. I've read that some theologians say that Elisha made the decision without consulting God. I actually wonder if Elisha's thinking was that the staff was more of a placeholder, uh, if you will. Let me explain. Based on the calculations on the distance Elisha and the Shunammite woman would have taken, uh, as you mentioned in your sermon, it would be about four days. That's coming. It goes about 25 miles. That's me inserting in the question. Uh, we know that the human body starts to decay or stink around four days. Uh, here's my stab at it. I think the staff's purpose in this case was that of a placeholder, that the staff was to stop the stinking process enough to prevent the body from decaying any further until Elisha's arrival. In support of that idea, I draw from Elisha's miracle of the floating axe head in chapter 6 in Second Kings as well. Uh, Elisha is, I think, the same thing as he did with the young boy. Uh, Elisha helps draw an axe head on the river by placing a stick over the place where it fell in. The stick acts as a placeholder until the axe head is drawn up. I may have gone too deep with this. Not sure I agree. I think you went too deep with this. I may have gone too deep with this, but based on the closeness and relationship Elisha had with God, I really don't think he did anything outside of God's will. And um, and so like the stick in the river had its purpose, so did the staff on the boy's face. Thank you, Nacho. Nacho, that is a long one. A couple of things. One, uh, Elisha certainly didn't do anything wrong. Uh, any theologian that would say he made a decision without consulting God, Elisha in the Old Testament is about as close to God in terms of hearing his voice or hearing direction as anybody else that you're going to find in the Old Testament. And in fact, uh, in this particular 
case. Uh, he was surprised when he saw uh, the the Shunammite woman. He was surprised that God hadn't told him. I mean, his relationship with God was so uh, intimate that he was surprised. No, I don't know. God, I, I don't know what's wrong. God usually tells me this stuff, but he didn't. So there was no mistake. Now, here's what I think, and I don't think it had anything to do with being a placeholder or stopping the decaying process. God can do uh, reverse the decaying process. He did that with Lazarus. Uh, he can do that at any moment. So uh, I just think that uh, Elisha fully expected, and this is what I said in the Bible study, Nacho, uh, Elisha fully expected that um, when Gehazi, his servant, took the staff and laid it on the boy's head, that that would do the trick. And so I think Elisha was surprised when he wasn't there. Now, that begs the question, why didn't it work if Elijah expected it to work? And as I mentioned in the study several times last Wednesday, and we'll talk about it again, uh, in, not tomorrow night necessarily, but in the studies after that, um, Gehazi has some, some heart issues. Um, his heart's not right with God. He is Elisha's servant. He would be the heir apparent. Uh, if he was faithful, all he would have to do is wait for Elisha to die, and he would have uh, fulfilled the same position. But his heart wasn't right. Um, you know, his his heart just wasn't right. He didn't care for the people enough. Uh, we're going to find out when we get to, not tomorrow night's study, but the following, that he was uh, kind of in it for himself. He, he took something that uh, he shouldn't have taken. Um, we're just going to find that there's there's issues in his heart, and I think God simply didn't honor. He wanted Elisha to supervise this miracle, and then the rest of it is just a miracle. Uh, the boy came back to life. The lady got her son back. Um, Elisha was used by God. There was no indication at all that there was anything out of order. So it wasn't that he failed, regardless of what some theologians say. Um, he was in constant contact with God. This was just the way God chose to do this miracle at the time. And he wanted Elisha to be there in that process. Thank you for the question. Here's a question from Kirby. This one also from our mobile app. Uh, what is the context of Paul's use of the word Jew in Romans 2.28? Is he specifically talking to Jews by ethnicity? Or is he talking to Christians where in receiving Christ in their hearts, they become spiritually Jewish, the promised seed of Abraham. Let me read Romans 2.28, and then I'll, I'll answer the question, uh, Kirby. Uh, it says, A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. Uh, a lot of times, just, just like today, there was a lot of questions that people had, and Paul talks about what are the advantages of being a Jew, much in every way. And he goes on and on. But what he's really saying here is that from God's perspective, uh, a Jew is only one who is governed by God. That's why God named the country Israel. That's why he changed Jacob's name to Israel. Um, that means governed by God. And so what he's saying here is, uh, and he's got a large Jewish audience and a large Gentile audience, uh, here's what he's saying. He's saying that a real Jew, a spiritual Jew, is one who has surrendered his or her heart to Jesus Christ. That's all. And so uh, he's, he's arguing the response, you know, uh, well, we're Jewish, we're saved, we're God's chosen people, so we're okay. And his whole message in the book of Romans is, no, you're not okay. Just because you were born Jewish, that's your ethnicity or your nationality. It does not mean that you're okay with God because sin still separates you and Jesus is the only answer for sin. So that's all he was saying. He wasn't saying at all that, that Christians, um, having received Christ, become spiritually Jewish. Uh, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about Jews and their relationship to God via the law, and then he's delivering the response or the answer uh, for Jews. You need Jesus Christ. You know, uh, Kirby, one of the other things you might take a look at is the first four or five verses of Romans chapter 9, because he talks about giving his place in heaven if only his brothers, the Jews, would believe. And we hear all the time about people saying, oh, Jews have a special covenant with God, or they don't need to be saved, or we don't need to evangelize them. Well, the Bible mitigates against all of those things, and especially the Apostle Paul's ministry, him being the most Jewish of all. 
um, um, he said, you need Jesus Christ. It's the only way to live. And um, uh, unfortunately, we, in the name of, I think, political correctness, uh, we don't want to say to a Jew that, well, apart from Jesus Christ, you're going to spend eternity in hell. But that's exactly what's going to happen. So good question, Kirby. Thank you very, very much. Bruno asked this question. I know some churches teach that Jesus lost his deity in his incarnation instead of just veiling it. Is this an essential doctrine? Bruno, it is. If Jesus lost his deity ever for a moment, God stopped being God and we're all lost in our sins. So uh, typically the churches that teach that are prosperity churches, faith churches. They'll say that Jesus had to go uh, descend into the, the, the abyss and be um, tormented by Satan before emerging as the first born-again Christian, uh, that is absolute heresy. So uh, that's how essential this doctrine is. Uh, The kenosis, that's what Jesus' incarnation is really called. It's the kenosis of God. That's a theological term. And it simply means, Philippians chapter 2 tells us, that he humbled himself. He veiled his deity. We know that in the entire... uh, 33 years that he walked this earth. Um, He never once used his deity for his own benefit. He never once used his deity to escape trouble. Um, He did only what the Father. He walked in full submission to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why he was constantly in prayer with the Father. And uh, um, that's all we need to know, Bruno. So this is an essential doctrine. And almost always those are heretical faith or prosperity churches, and uh, they're, they're missing it, missing it badly. So Jesus veiled his deity, but he never lost it. He was always God, and he was always man, and he now will be always both. Upon his un- incarnation, Jesus became a, the God-man, and and the limitations of a physical body that he didn't have before his incarnation, he will have forever. It also means, by the way, Bruno, and I don't know if this is um, germane to your question, uh, but uh, he he also took a role that was subservient to his father. He did that willingly. I only do what I hear my or see what I what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. So Jesus, in his uh, incarnation here on earth, he was always submitted completely to his Father. He didn't have an independent thought. He didn't go and do things on his own. Uh, He was uh, forever the God-man, and he will stay that way. Here is an anonymous question. Um, Pastor Ron, in looking back at the history of your church, what has caused you the most pain and brought you the most joy? Whew, anonymous. That I, I can cry even thinking about this. Um, uh, easily, what's brought me the most pain, and this happens every day. Uh, there, there's there's um, no relief from this ever. Uh, but the most pain is watching Christians being willfully disobedient with God and pretending or fooling themselves that they're okay. I see the pain in their lives. I see the problems. I know the answers are right there. I know that all they have to do is surrender to Jesus Christ and uh, and all will be well. Uh, but to see them living needlessly in pain and causing pain to others, uh, the people who sit during our Bible studies uh, metaphorically, you know, with their arms folded across their chest, um, sort of checking their watch to see how much longer uh, he's going to keep talking kind of thing. That causes me a lot of pain. i got to tell you, Anonymous, I give invitations every time I teach the Bible, and there are times when the Holy Spirit is screaming at me that there are people out there, and you can see them fidgeting, and they walk away unchanged. And to see somebody who has the opportunity to deal with God, to get right with God, to be empowered by God, to be filled with the joy of God, and they choose not to, i got to tell you, that is by far the most painful thing that I have to deal with. It's so unnecessary. It's so uh, avoidable. 
God has so much more for us. But Christians who settle for less than God's best, Christians who settle for less than being obedient to him. And there are real Christians who do that all the time. There are also professing Christians who aren't real Christians who do it, but it it literally breaks my heart. Now, obviously, in what I do, there's all kinds of painful things. I had a meeting today with a woman in the church uh, whose heart is broken. It's family issues. Her heart is broken. Uh, I've got a, a full list of people uh, anonymous that I'm praying for because they are physically ill and some of them uh, terminally ill. Uh, and and uh, to, to, to be there with them and for them and to be lifting them up in prayer, those are painful things. Um, we have a, a bunch of uh, people right now who are, are dealing with very sick spouses. In, in, in particular, um, the, the wife is sick and the husband is trying to deal with with uh, uh, the woman he loves, and, and and so I always pray for the husband and the wives together because it's not just the one who's physically sick that's causing the the pain or or that is in pain because they both are. I can imagine watching Paula um, so ill that that she might lose hope, or seeing her so ill that she was suffering physically. That would be. Um, as difficult on me as it is on her, albeit in a far different way. But um, so there's a lot of things. Uh, kids growing up um, and and falling away. But the single biggest source of pain uh, are Christians who just won't do what God tells them to do. And they go through life pretending that everything is okay. I had a situation not long ago where... Um, there was a woman, in fact, I think it was a question we got on this radio show, um, uh, a woman who um, was being convicted by the Holy Spirit about drinking and her professing Christian friend was saying, oh, just live your life. God doesn't care about that kind of stuff. When it's God, the Holy Spirit convicting her, he does care. That is the source of pain that I've never been able to get over. There are times when I'll just look up to God and I'll say, Jesus, how did you do this? How did you walk with joy? How did you walk with confidence in your father with a broken heart? And now, obviously, the answer, he's God and I'm not, but he knows what I'm asking. I'm asking for help. Help me deal with this kind of pain. So, Anonymous, that's the first part of the question. Uh, the most joy, that's, that's easy as well, to see people who really grab on to Jesus and hold on for dear life and to see the the extreme changes in their life is overwhelming, joyfully overwhelming. Uh, I see people come in here and their lives are devastated, absolutely devastated. Paul and I, we pray for the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, the confused, the fearful, the angry. That's, we pray, we, these are the people we want coming in. And we see broken people all the time. We see confused people all the time. We see... Uh, people who are pretending they're saved and not. And to, to watch the Holy Spirit grab a hold of them and they just really press in and, and their life begins to bloom uh, and, and the fruit they produce for the Lord uh, is, is abundant, to use Jesus' word. Uh, to see people change like that, to see people with no hope suddenly have that hope of the Holy Spirit, um, that is the single biggest source of joy. Now, there's a lot of others, but but that is the one thing. I get to watch. Anonymous, I get to watch the power of God before my very eyes. And I get to see it in the lives of people. And when I get to see that, it is absolutely thrilling. Now, uh, again, I, I, I have such a blessed life. I'm so privileged to do what I do. Uh, but I get to marry um, kids that I dedicated as babies. Think about that. Because I've been here so long, um, I get to watch kids that graduated from our school. We're here from kindergarten. They graduated from our school. We've got three or four of them who've come back, and now they're teachers at the school. I get to see families restored. Broken families, I get to see them restored. I get to see 
a wife who once again can look at her husband in awe and in love and with respect for a man that they were ready to ditch and had no respect for at all. Because that's the work that the Holy Spirit does. So my life is a roller coaster ride uh, many times in the same hour. <laughs> uh, great joy and great sadness. Um, but uh, those are the things I think that are are the the most significant to me personally. Any of you out there called to be a pastor, don't pass up on the opportunity to do it. Here is another anonymous question. Why are some Christians not bothered by their sin? I think I just explained in the previous question that this is one of my huge sources of pain. Um, um, probably they're not bothered by their sin because they're not really Christians. I know that sounds judgy, but you know, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, you can't do things that are unholy without the Holy Spirit convicting you. And if he's convicting you and you're unaware of it, um, uh, you may still be a Christian, but, but the, 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 the direction of your life is going to just get more and more filled with pain. Um, the, the Christian who rationalizes his wife or his, his sin or, or her sin, um, those are Christians that uh, are simply, they're on their own. There's no source of power. They're disconnected from from the source of power. The Holy Spirit becomes impotent in them, really. Uh, they're quenching, putting out the Spirit's fire. Um, and, uh, you know, sin, what can I say? The devil's a liar. Sin is a deceiver. And our hearts can get so hard that we're barely aware of our sin. It's a very, very dangerous place to be. Uh, I had a friend named Mike uh, many, many years ago who uh, I found out was, uh, he was a Christian. We talked about the Lord all the time. I used to buy him um, hats and stuff from Calvary Chapel Bible College and bring them to him. I found out he was living with a girl he wasn't married to. I just always thought that she was his wife. And um, I said to him, I said, uh, he said, Mike, how long have you been living with this girl and you're not married to her? He said, seven years. I said, how could you have had a moment's peace in seven years? And he looked at me and said, Ron, I have not had a moment's peace in seven years. He was tormented over his sin. I actually asked him to give me the hats back. I said, I didn't want to be falsely advertising that he was a Christian. And, um, you know, after I left California, this is where he lived, came here to San Antonio, start the church, uh, several years after I was here, uh, he got a hold of me and said, I just want you to know that that uh, I, we got married. She's pregnant now with a with a baby, and, and, and our life serving God is wonderful. Um, so he was bothered, although for seven years it didn't look like it. So, I mean, there's a lot of reasons that they're, they appear not bothered by their sin, but I think the most important one, anonymous, is that they're probably not really saved. Galatians chapter 5 uh, and 1 Corinthians chapter 6 both provide a list of, of lifestyles or behaviors. And he says people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God in both places. And um, I think most of those people would say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, I talk to people all the time who are living with somebody they're not married to. And I said, wait a minute, you said you're a Christian. Well, I am. Well, why are you living with somebody you know that's wrong? Um, sometimes they'll admit that it bothers them, but they're not going to do anything about it. As I said a moment ago, this is a really, really dangerous place to be. So thank you for the question. Let's take a phone call. We've got Ray on line one. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Thanks for taking my call, Pastor Ron. Um, my pleasure. We, we, we... Recently, and I'm pretty sure you probably are aware that because of the drought and the dried up places that they said that they found uh, uh, dinosaur uh, footprints <laughs> in a river. Yeah, Lake, I think it's Lake Mead in the area around there. It's, so. What? I think it's around Lake Mead uh, in, in uh, you know, the dams. No, no, so. not, I'm not talking about people being found. 
in barrels and stuff, you know. But I'm yeah. talking about a river that uh, had dried up, um, and there was mention of it being uh, a huge uh, dinosaur and uh, a timeline of a hundred million years old footprints. And I don't know if you're uh, with me on that or not, but I'm aware that you think uh, that that's not possible. And I just wonder what what what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And I'll and I'll listen on the radio. Thank you, Ray. Yeah, I, I saw that story as well. I was first thinking about you. You talked about the rivers and stuff drying up. Um, yeah, but I can tell you one thing for sure: they're not a million years old. Um, you know, there were dinosaurs on the earth. They walked the same time that man did. And um, but but you know that's the thing. This is a million years old. These footprints. Um, remember, all of that begins with the premise that there is no God. And the Bible is not his word. Thank you, Ray. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Ray, uh, we looked that up. I have a crack research department here, and he looked it up. Um, that's that's near Dallas or, or, or just southwest of Dallas, I guess, here in Texas. Uh, it's a place called Valley State Park. And, um, you know, obviously people assume, scientists assume that if you find anything that is uh, related to dinosaurs, that it's millions or, in this case, a million years old, the footprint. That's not the case. Uh, dinosaurs lived. They thrived. Um, uh, they were wiped out in the flood. Um, so um, take it with a grain of salt. But, but yeah, I, I think it's interesting. Uh, there have actually been, not this particular case, but there have actually been um, imprints of dinosaurs found with human footprints inside them all fossilized. So we know that men and dinosaurs walked together on this earth, uh, and they weren't Cro-Magnon man either. So uh, it was Adam and Eve and the people on the earth at the time. Here's a question from Rita. She says, when we pray for meals, is it violating Jesus' word to us not to be repetitious in prayer? Rita, I think violating Jesus' word is more a matter of the heart then of the words that come out of your mouth, when Jesus is talking about repetitious prayer, we know when Catholics pray the Rosary or the Our Father, um, you know, just this this meaningless over and over and over, we're saying the words. Um, you know, we we have a sense that that's going to do something. Uh, so so when you pray for your meals, and I think we should always pray for our meals. We should give thanks for it. And, um, you know, how, how original can you be? I, I pretty much say the same thing. Lord, thank you for this food. Let it be a blessing to our bodies, strengthening and nourishing us. And, oh, how we're grateful for you. I mean, there's not much more you can do. And when people are sitting down to eat, they want to eat rather than listen to, to somebody pray. So I don't think that is violating uh, the, the intent or the spirit of Jesus' words at all. Um, Rita, the, the, the intent of, of his words is simply to condemn the, the, the Jewish religious leaders who are actually misrepresenting God, um, condemn them for their long-flowing prayers um, th- th- to be done for show. So the idea is when we pray, it needs to mean something. And when I pray for my meal, I'm grateful every time. I'm grateful every single time. So I hope that answers your question. Let's go to line one. We got Reuben from Seguin. Reuben, we just prayed that you'd call today before the show started. You're on the air. 
Oh, God bless you, Pastor Ron. I just, I just uh, got back from the doctor. Um, I, I have a, you know, um, I need prayer, but uh, I'm going to do God's work first because, you know, I've been uh, struggling with my lungs, but... Uh, um, can I ask you a question first and then tell you just of a course bit and then get off the line um, I've been reading Jeremiah uh, me I'm too in chapter 10 <laughs> I, I, oh really yeah <laughs> I'm in chapter 10 and um, I got to um, verse 23 and my version says Lord I know that people's lives are not their own it is not for them to direct their paths Okay, so I know I know that we I know that we can't do our will, but I thought that we could like strive to like for a goal. And maybe I'm mistaking what this says when it says it is not for them to direct their paths. Am I taking it too literal? Um, yeah, um, I think you are. I think what, what's going on here, uh, Reuben, is is God is simply saying He's in charge. He's in charge of the the, the decisions we make. He's in charge. Now He gives us the freedom to make decisions, but He's in charge of all of those things. And and uh, when we make plans on our own without the caveat, thy will, not my will be done, um, then what we've done is we've become sort of an idol. And, and what he's doing in Jeremiah, I, I'm in chapter 22, by the way, that I'm reading through Jeremiah as well. Um, he, he's rebuking the people for their false gods. He's rebuking them for their unwillingness to repent um, with, with all the signs around them. Um, and... Um, they're simply not listening. And Jeremiah is getting frustrated, and a lot of times he's got these complaints um, that he's dealing with all the time. And um, he's he's trying to, to wake them up, but they won't. So Jeremiah, this is the conclusion he makes. This isn't God speaking to him. This is the conclusion that Jeremiah makes uh, from what God is telling him. And and what he's saying is man doesn't determine what happens to other men. They can do whatever they want to try to avoid the judgment that's coming. But God has already, in this case, determined that the judgment is going to come. Um, it's equally true that circumstances in this world uh, don't keep us from doing what God wants if 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 we'll let our lives be in his hands. So uh, man makes plans, according to Solomon, but God is the one who orders the steps. So, yeah, we can make plans. Um, um, we, we need to be diligent. However, what we've got to do, if we really understand that we're not our own, we're bought with the price, what we do, Reuben, is we say, Jesus, you can interrupt any plan I have at any time, any day. And that's what he does. I mean, so so often, uh, somebody will get up one day, and the Lord will speak to him in the Word. That's why I'm so encouraged that you're you're in the Word, and God will change the whole direction of your life. And that's what that's what He does according to His will. Does that make sense to you? Yes, it does. That's that's exactly what I wanted to tie into to that verse um, with what's going on in my life now. It just seems like. You know, I, I, you know, I got to a point to where, Lord, 10 years, Lord, 10 years, and I thought I was coming out. But then now they're telling me that I'm getting fluid in my lungs mm-hmm. and they want to do surgery to where they want to put a tube in my side and into my lung to mm-hmm. suck out the... Because I didn't know that once water gets in your lung, it's hard to breathe. That's why I've been having trouble breathing. But... You know, I want a second opinion, and I made an appointment to see uh, your doctor um, oh. to see what he says. I don't know if if he could tell me, but I did. Um, I I left a message. Um, Pastor Sam, I think, was the one that told me. He gave me the number, and he said uh, to Marbacare. I can't remember what it was called. Malta, Mal- yeah, Malta Medical. Malta, Malta. 
Malta Medical, yeah. And it said, leave a message and somebody will will get you. Uh, nobody's called yet, but, but um, I can imagine that they have a lot of people on there. So, but like I said, I was tying into to what what Jeremiah was saying because today at, at the doctor, before I got before I went in, out of nowhere, God started speaking to me, and He was like, "Ruben, what are you gonna do?" you know, with what he tells you. And then I was like, well, Lord, <laughs> my life, my life is not my own. And I, you know, and that was before I read this. Uh, and I said, my life ain't my own. It's, it belongs to you. So you tell me, what do you want me to do with your life, with my life? He says, I want you to go and tell people what I've done. Mm -hmm. I want you to go and tell people what I've done. I'm like, okay. And then he gave me a word and, and I started writing it down on my notes on my on my iPhone and I started writing it down and I was like, Oh my God and he was just giving it to me, giving it to me. Thank <laughs> God that they took forever for them to call me in because I hadn't had enough chance to write it down. Not all of it, but but anyways, I tied it tied it to what it said. You know, they can't direct man cannot direct his own steps. And yeah. I just said, Lord, you know what? You know, whatever like you said, you know, whatever will not my will but your will be done, no matter what. And it, yeah. it's been tough. I'm not going to lie. It's been yeah. tough, but you know what? Ruben, think, physical, th physical things are impossible at times. Physical things are just impossible. Uh, I think I've yeah. got a word for you. Uh, go back to Jeremiah chapter 10 and let the Lord speak to you uh, out of verse 24, the next verse. Because this is what Jeremiah, okay. this is Jeremiah's heart. He says, correct me, Lord, but only with justice, not in your anger, lest you reduce me to nothing. So Jeremiah is dealing with all of the judgment that's being prophesied for, for, uh, for Judah. And, and uh, Jeremiah is simply saying, okay, Lord, you're the one that directs my steps. I'm going to serve you. And then he asks, he says, correct me, Lord, but only with justice. And and if you remember that, I I really believe the Lord will speak to your heart. Hey, uh, Ruben, can I ask you when you when you called Malta Medical? When? Honestly, Pastor, uh, it was about two weeks ago. Okay, um, um, I I'll make sure Sam is actually writing it down right now, and we will uh, we'll make sure that somebody uh, gets the message. Um, and we'll we'll give him a little bit of the backstory, but uh, we'll have somebody okay. get back to you. Okay. Okay, Pastor. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Thank you, Reuben. God bless you. You know, I worry about Reuben because because his physical problems, and those of you who've been listening to the show for a long time, are very familiar. I've been heard from him for quite a while. And so just before we went in the air today, I said, Lord, um, I'm worried about Reuben. I haven't heard from him for a while, so please let Reuben call today. And here he does. See? You have not because you asked not. Thank you, Reuben. You... It's a bit, that's a relief. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Sandy says, is there one outstanding thing that we can do to get family members who are Catholic to get born again? Uh, Sandy, you know, you can share the gospel with them. But I think the most important thing by far is, is always letting them know that you you you're born again in Christ. That Jesus has changed your life. He's changed your heart, and then live your life in a way that is consistent with that. You know, when when somebody thinks they're saved by a, a church or by a particular religion, or 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 long repetitious prayers, whatever, um, or or being baptized as an infant. Um. I find it very unfruitful, typically, to sit down and say, well, Catholic Catholicism is false, it's not true, and you've got to be born again. Uh, I think the, the best thing you can do, Sandy, is to live your life so that they know that what their religion is not doing for them, they can watch in action in your own life. So I just think that's the, the best thing. Uh, invite them to come to church with you. I, I think that's very important. Invite them to come to church with you and um, um, keep keep making the offer. They'll, they'll typically refuse for a while. But as they see the joy in your life, as they see there's just something that they're missing, um, the Holy Spirit will use your faithfulness to work on them. 
but live a life that's not compromised. Live a life that even even in difficult circumstances, your heart is filled with joy. Just in Reuben's call just a moment ago, um, you know, Reuben has suffered perhaps more than any other caller that we've had on this program in our 10 years. And yet, um, as hard as it is, you could still hear the joy and the hope that comes from being in the presence of the Lord and comes from the Word of God. Now, Reuben has had some really down times as well. That's what happens when we're physically ill. But um, when, when, when somebody who's going through something difficult can still be filled with gratitude, filled with joy, filled with a hope that, that a Catholic wouldn't have, um, boy, the Holy Spirit will use that. He will use that. Delia says, uh, is psychology a legitimate course of study for a Christian? Uh, of course it's a legitimate course of study, but I think, Delia, as a Christian, you have to make a decision going in um, how committed you are to what your education is going to falsely teach you. It's that simple. Now, I, I've known psychologists. One of my dear, 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 she was a sister to me, here, she was a psychologist and was wonderfully gifted and especially gifted with kids. Um, but she she held fast to the Word of God and counseled using the Word of God. Um, psychology is built. The whole study of, of the mind, whether it's psychology or psychiatry, has its foundation uh, in, in unbelief. Um, the the, the Founding fathers of modern psychology and psychiatry uh, were atheists, people that dismissed the notion of God. And, and thus it nullifies most of what they have to offer. Um, so so I, you'd have to, you have to make that choice. Uh, am I going to spend all these years in college um, only to throw that stuff out and get in the Word? Now, obviously a degree... Uh, opens doors uh, to enable you to counsel. Um, but it's much more important, Delia, that you know the Word of God and that you trust in the Word of God. If you've got to choose between, well, the psychology that I studied says this and the Bible says this, you've got to be prepared to choose the Bible every time. So, yes, psychology is a legitimate course of study. I think it's problematic for a Christian. So contrary to what our Bible teaches. And I think challenging faith. By the way, Delia, I have seen um, people go into this course of study as a believer and come out an unbeliever. Or at least they said they were a believer and come out an unbeliever. Here's a good question. This one comes from Timothy. Uh, he says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, what is meant by not embittering your children? Um, one translation says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Another says, don't embitter your children. And the idea here is to be consistent and to discipline in love. And I think one of the most exasperating or embittering things that we parents do now is we discipline our children in anger. Um we discipline them with hypocrisy. By that I mean we say one thing in their own lives, but they can look at our lives and see that we're not living um, consistently with what we tell them to do. My my dad, if he said it once, he said it a thousand times, Ronnie, do what I say, not what I do. Um, and, and that is frustrating. That's exasperating to children. I think having inconsistent standards of discipline or favoring one child over another uh, is exasperating or embittering to children. So consistently and in love, what we need to do is demonstrate to our kids that every time that we're disciplining them, um, that it's going to be consistent. Uh, we're going to talk to them. No parent should ever, ever discipline their children when they're angry I've uh, got to take a time out, walk with Jesus, you do that. But discipline has to be consistent, firm, has to be loving, and it has to be um, reconciling. I mean, you, you, you don't want to leave a, a child uh, with no hope. 
So, so I, I just think we follow the examples of, of Christ. I think it's embittering or exasperating when a husband and a wife are yelling at each other, screaming at each other, calling each other's names within the hearing of their children. That is exasperating. And that's the home I grew up in. So I can tell you that firsthand that, that it was, it was embittering. It was just, well, what's the point? Um, parents like, uh, uh, Isaac and Rebecca did with Jacob and Esau. Each of the parents had a favorite and you know, that, that, that that's frustrating to the kids. So consistency, and and consistency in love, I think, Timothy, are the key elements in making sure that your children understand what you're doing and why you're doing it, and that what you're doing is being done in love. Good question. Thank you very much. Ben asks, <laughs> uh, I'm laughing, why does God accept us the way we are, but then immediately demand we change? Um <laughs> Ben, I'm laughing because I'm thinking I've, I've seen this in marriage counseling a whole bunch. You know, she knew what I was like, and now she's trying to change me, or he knew what I was like, and now he's trying to change me. And you can't change people. Only God can change people. But God accepts us the way we are, and thank God he does, because nobody would come to Christ if that wasn't the case. No matter what you're guilty of, no matter how horrible your past is, God says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we can come to Jesus, his arms are open wide. But because he loves us, Ben, he never lets us stay the way we are. And I want you to think about it from this perspective. If you meet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and that's what a born-again experience is, when you meet Jesus, doesn't it necessarily follow that that would change you? You come to him a sinner. He takes your sin away. You, you now have the freedom of knowing that you're going to go to heaven. You're not going to be punished for your sins because Jesus took the punishment for you. And then the Spirit of God comes to live in you, the power that raised Christ from the dead. That, by definition, ought to change us. And we ought to be anxious for the change. And so, yes, God is going to change you. It's because he loves you, and the whole process of changing you is to make you more and more like Jesus every single day. Uh, the, the, the theological term there is sanctification. That's the whole process of sanctification. He meets us. He takes away our sin. He lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And from the first day you get saved, every day thereafter, you ought to be more like Jesus than you were the day before. And so that's why he changes us. He takes away our anger. He takes away our, our defensiveness. He takes away uh, our, our desire for things that are sinful, things that he knows are going to destroy us. And so, of course, we change. But that's what happens when God takes possession of our bodies. And so, he does it because he loves you. That's the why. My question to you, Ben, would be, why don't you want to change? Now, I know there's things that we do. I'll tell a very quick story. We don't have everybody on the phone. We're only a couple of minutes left in the program. But when I got saved, I, I was a gambler. I mean, I was a huge gambler. And I'd go to the racetrack uh, in California all the time. Uh, I played poker, high-stakes poker games. Uh, and I loved it. I mean, I loved it. And when I got saved, I didn't stop doing that. But what happened, and this happened literally in a couple of weeks. I got saved, did the same things. Tuesday night, I said, see you, Paul, I'm going to play poker. Or sometimes we had a poker game at, at our house. I'd say, see you, see you, I'll be back later. And she'd just start praying. She didn't nag me. She didn't say, I thought you were saved. Christians can't do that stuff. She just started praying. And I'd be sitting at a poker game or I'd be sitting at Santa Anita Racetrack and I'd just be thinking, you know, and I, when I say I love doing this stuff, I can't describe enough how I loved it. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there right in the middle of having a good hand or watching a horse run and I'm thinking, this isn't fun. 
Why am I here? I don't want to be here. And and literally, I would leave poker games early. I would leave Sin and Eat early. And it wasn't very long, just a matter of weeks. And I wasn't doing it anymore because I didn't want to do it. Period. Period. Good question, Ben. I got one time for one more today. This one is from Victor. He said, how much of the business of the church do you share with your wife, especially the things that disappoint? Victor, that's a hard question. Um, I, I feel like I want to share everything with Paula, but there are things that, that are private. I don't share counseling sessions with Paula uh, unless somebody asks me to. And, and because everybody knows me and Paula, uh, some say, well, we'll share this with Paula so she can pray. And then I will. But, uh, but I don't share stuff with her. I don't share disappointing things with her because Paula's gift is encouragement. I don't want to make her mad at people. If somebody comes against me, I'm not going to say, you can't believe what this person said today. Um, because I want Paula, next time she sees that person, to be able to encourage them and love them. And I don't want Paula to be put in a place where she's got to look at him like, oh, I can't believe what you said about my husband. So we don't share that much. The, the business business, money, things like that, I don't share any of that with Paula. I mean, if there's really good news, I'll share. Boy, the Lord was really good today, those kind of things. But, um, you know, Paula has her gifts and her calling, and I have mine. And my job is to help her do her job. My job is to help her use the gifts that God has given her. And if if I'm complaining or if I'm grumbling or if I'm sharing constantly bad news, um, then then I'm no longer encouraging her. I'm actually setting her up uh, for the enemy. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Victor, thanks for the question. Well, we are out of time for today. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow on AM 630 The Word. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.